really is really is good to be with you and and um, and and just just before we kind of uh, head into the text, I don't know what your week's been like. A um, little bit weird being here on a Saturday night. We're so used to Sunday, and we get a few of these uh, throughout the year. But um, you know, I don't I don't know what uh, your heart feels like. Uh, but but I'm sure many of you, because I've been walking with a lot of you this week, uh, there's just a lot of weight. If I could just just kind of bring a an image, it's kind of like you're in one of those uh, car compressors that they throw to the junkyard, and they're just squeezing and squeezing, and uh, you feel like the life is just getting sucked out of you. Uh, that's how I feel. So we're allowed to be transparent in church. So I'm I'm coming in tonight just feeling depleted uh, and feeling like there's weight and there's pressing. And uh, so here's what I want to do uh, just before we head into this last part of this book is just uh, practice what we learned a few weeks ago, uh, which is pressing into our God of the universe who has sovereign rule and reign over all things. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but when life starts to really press on you, uh, when the the bottom of the world just feels like it falls out from you, um, your first reaction usually, and it's not always, it's not for everyone, so if you're really spiritual, I know you don't do this, but um, you just kind of question God a bit, and and you wonder about his control, and his worth, and his goodness, and his faithfulness, and and uh, you, you just, and we hate that we do it, but we do it anyways. And, and I've found that this week, just looking at, again, remembering in, in the moment of pressing that he's sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things, that, that he's in control of it. And so it doesn't do us any good to worry and stress out. So I don't know what it is for you, but why don't we just take a minute together uh, tonight. And, and I want you in this moment, whatever that thing is for you, whether it's work, whether it's marriage, whether it's people, uh, it's always people, so it'll, it'll flush itself out in, in, a, in, a, in a certain type of way, but um, I want us right now just to, just to see his control, uh, to, to look at his sovereign rule and reign in this moment, so let's just do that. Just take a minute and just consider it, enjoy it, <laughs> um, don't, don't do anything, just rest in the reality that right now, that whatever's bearing over top of you. God is upholding. God is keeping steady. He's not surprised. He's not showing up late to your issue. He's active in it. Father, it really is sweet to trust Jesus. God, forgive us when we lean into other functional gods and other functional saviors. God, I pray tonight that contentment would mark our hearts, that regardless of our circumstance, the fact that we have you, and the fact that Jesus is ours, that his glorious riches are ours, that all that he is is ours, that that would bring great joy and great release, and great freedom. Um, God, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for this letter that we've walked through as a faith family. Thank you for all the wonderful realities that are in Philippians that we have not uncovered. God, I pray we continue to look at it, and read it, and study it, that you'd make us more like Jesus as a result. We pray you'd work tonight in a way that's unique. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to do cha- verses 10 to 23. We're going to land the plane tonight. We're going to finish this book. And um, if you're just kind of entering in or visiting or you haven't been with us for the last 11 weeks or so, let me just very simply um, catch you up to speed on what Paul has been doing. Um, what Paul has been doing very directly, very adamantly is just, is just in, in the easiest way I can say it, he's trying to unpack for you all the reasons that you should exhaust yourself in pursuing Christ. 
Okay, so he's going to get at the heart throughout this letter that the goal of the Christian is not just to pursue good morality. It's not just to try to manage all of your sin. It's not just try to have the perfect marriage or be the perfect spouse or have all your things in life just set up in a, all your ducks in a row. He goes, man, if you pursue all those things but you don't get Jesus, then you've lost. Okay, you don't, you don't win anything because Christ is all things. He's in all things. He's before all things. He's the substance of all things. He's the source of all things. So we said... You're going to see fruits in this letter. You're going to see joy. You're going to see contentment. You're going to see peace. You're going to see steadfastness. But those things are all just fruits of the source of all, which is Jesus. So listen, don't let your goal be anything outside of him. Let your goal be him. And as you press headlong into him, he'll begin producing and doing all of these other things in your life. But if you reverse it, you're just a really good guy who's going to hell. That's not a good equation, okay? We want to be bad people that are saved by Jesus, going to eternity with him by all that he's done, by his person and his work alone. So he has been pressing that into our hearts since we started in this letter, how true life is lived for him, by him, and through him. And Paul's going to wrap up this letter showing us that the fruit of the maturing man, the maturing woman of God who understands that Christ is all things, whose gaze is set there, whose affections are pressing there, whose thoughts are moving there, is marked by something. Contentment. Okay, so he, he's going to show you here that, that if, if you're doing that, if you're pursuing him and not all these other things that the world and even maybe some Christian circles want you to pursue above him, then you're going to be marked by contentment. That's going to be something that's going to be evident in your life and Jesus being the only one who can produce those things. And so my prayer this morning or tonight, uh, very simply, is that we be able to join the Apostle Paul and many others who can say, I'm content because Christ is all things to me. I'm, I'm okay regardless of my circumstance because I have him. And so the, these final verses, I, I think, and if you're familiar with Roman, or Re, Romans, Revelation, I'm off, man. We're in Philippians. Maybe that's what we're doing next. Huh? Maybe, maybe that's what he's saying. Both of those are, boy, Revelations are Romans. Those are, don't quote me on that one. Those are, those are, those are, those are going to be fun. Um, but if you're in Philippians 4, there's going to be a text in here that's it's probably one of the most misquoted verses in, in the Bible uh, and in Christian circles. Uh, you already know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, so, so we're going we're gonna to see it in context of all that Paul's saying. He's talking about contentment. He's been talking about how Christ is the goal of all things. So we're going to see what he says. Now, th- this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, this has been on probably every t-shirt I remember I wore it, even on my headgear when I wrestled high school. Didn't really know what it meant. I just thought that meant I could do anything I want whenever I want because Christ is all things to me. He does anything, you know, he allows me to do anything I want. I don't have to study for any test. I'm going to ace any test because Christ, you know, does everything for me. I mean, just, we just butcher this verse, right? It's kind of this catch-all phrase. Just use it for whatever you want, whatever you need in life. Just claim it and he'll do it for you. And that's, I think, the opposite of what Paul is actually going to say here. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest memories I have of, of this verse is, I don't know if you remember Vander Holyfield fighting Mike Tyson, and you remember what was on his robe? Uh, Philippians 4.13. Okay, come on, I'm like, I'm feeding you this, right? So, so they got that, <laughs> seriously? So they got that, that text, right? So Philippians 4.13 for Vander Holyfield meant I'm going to beat up Mike Tyson, right? And, and he did, right, by, by God's grace. And then he wore the same thing for Lennox Lewis, and He's like, man, I can do all things. I'm going to beat up Lennox Lewis. And he gets beat up, so it didn't work. So there's a perfect example of what happens for the kid who wears it for baseball and strikes out. I mean, how does that work, right? I mean, how, how does this, if this verse means if you just have him, then you'll succeed in everything you do, how does that make sense? Well, if you look at the verse in this paragraph, he's talking about contentment. He's talking about how even if we don't have anything, we can be okay because we have everything already in which is Christ. Okay, so, so th- th- that's where he's going to dig. So let's look at this verse in Paul's writing, chained to a Roman guard. You'd think that if that were true, that he could just get out, if he could do all things. And, but he's writing to the church he dearly loves. This is how he starts ending his letter, verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. <laughs> okay, so, so, so look at this verse. and it, it, It's really important because I, I, I want to make sure we're clear on what Paul is saying. So we know he's not saying that you can do whatever you want just because Christ supplies the strength. So you just claim this verse and go into whatever avenue. If you want to be the CEO of a company, he just supplies the needs. So you're going to be a CEO. You just got to have more faith. Okay, so what he's showing here is, is he's getting deeper. And the verse isn't to tell you that you can have anything you want or do anything that you want. He's saying you already have all that you need. Okay, so because you already have Christ, the very one who strengthens the very parts of your being, the, every last DNA strand and fiber that you can't possibly strengthen, whether you are in overabundance or in utter poverty, you're okay. Because he strengthens you. He can do all things in any circumstance because you have him. And notice Paul says, I've learned. I've learned to be content. Again, we've said this over and over. It wasn't a natural thing for Paul. He had to learn how to be a contented man. Right? Now, if you just do a quick theology of Paul's life, I mean, you can see why he had to learn contentment. I mean, going from the best of the best in the Pharisaic schooling system. According to law and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, we learned in chapter 3. He knew the Bible better than most preachers. And he goes from being on the top of it all, having all the fame and popularity and applause of man to being shipwrecked and chained and thrown in prison and ultimately martyred. So, so we're going to see that, that Paul, Paul, Paul learned these things, right? We, that's something we don't even have time for. But, but as he's talking about this, this learning, I want you to know this. This word is talking about two different things, okay? He's, he's talking about how you can learn contentment intellectually, okay, by actually looking at the scriptures and what the word reveals to you and seeing, okay, that's contentment. He also does it in more of an immersing way. That's where he says, I learned the secret, okay? So there's an intellectual way where you know something, God reveals you that you can be content based upon what you read. Then there's another part of you that's actually actively walking in the truth that you know. So it's immersing yourself in that truth and it's bearing weight on your soul. Okay, so now I would argue that most of us learn contentment through the former. We just read truths and we, we, we okay, okay, I'm learning contentment. Okay, he, here's what that means. Go to Habakkuk chapter 3. Okay, this is something that, that maybe Paul could do. Paul would go to the Bible and he would read and learn about contentment. If you don't have a Bible, it's not on the screen. I apologize, but I'll just read it. Um, and here's an example. Chapter 3, verse 17. A lot of you guys are familiar with this verse. So, so Paul can read this verse and here's what he can, he can glean intellectually in learning. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... Okay, so Paul intellectually can go, okay, if I have no food, if my business isn't going well, yet, okay, I can be content. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread in my high places, right? Okay, so that's an intellectual way to see the Bible and say, okay, I'm learning contentment that way. You go to Psalm 4, verse 7, he can say, you give me greater joy in my heart than abounding wine and tons of food. Okay, so I hear that. I, I believe that. Okay, but that's, that's still intellectual for you. Then there's the side of taking those realities and actually actively walking in the truth that you know. And that's what he's talking about when he says, I learned how to be content and I learned the secret. It's these two different ways that he is learning these things. So it's not just seeing in the scriptures that God is better. It's actually tasting that he's better. It's actually letting the risen Christ permeate your being and thinking and feeling and doing. So that you begin to actually learn from not just an intellectual sense, but through walking actively in it by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells you. So, so this, is, this is where he's, he's getting at. So he's, he's talking about intellectual learning and actively immersing yourself in it. And, 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 and here's where he's going. So, so here's for Paul 
how this begins to bear weight. Because what do we know about according to Acts 16 when he started the church, right? There's Lydia who's really wealthy. There's the uh, previous, the, the little girl who was demon-possessed, who he saw Jesus deliver from the, the uh, demon possession. She joined the church plant. Then they get thrown in prison. And the jailer's saved. Okay, so here's what that means. Paul can look as he is in Lydia's home where he is enjoying all the wealth that God could provide. Okay, really good food, probably having a steak, probably filet mignon. He's enjoying the food, right? He's saying, okay, it's not just I'm learning how to live like a wealthy guy or like a poor guy. He's saying, I'm learning how to live even in Lydia's home that I'm not going to sell out for all that wealth. That I'm living for Christ in wealth. That now I can walk away from that and I'm still okay because I have Christ. Because we know that just a few moments later, what happens? He's thrown in prison. He's eating off the prison guard floor. So now he learns how to be content in poverty. How it doesn't drive him to despair. Because Christ is all things to him when he lives in abundance and in great need. Right? Christ can do all things in him, the one who strengthens him. So it doesn't matter if you're living in abundance or opulence. It doesn't matter if you're living in utter poverty and hardly anything. Contentment has nothing to do with your circumstance. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's like, don't, don't you get it? I've, I've experienced both. Like, like, listen, so what that means is if I have wealth, I use wealth with an open hand to push the kingdom forward. I'm not enslaved to my wealth. Wealth is not my God. I live for Christ in wealth, but not for wealth. Okay, so wealth is not your God. Or in poverty, I'm not driven to despair because I know Christ has all things. He'll supply my daily needs. He's there for me. He'll give me my daily bread. You see how regardless of your situation, your heart's driving to him because he's the supplier of it all, which you're going to see near the end in verse 19. The mind-blowing reality of really who we are in Christ. So he's showing us that Christ is still better than abundance. He's better than wealth. That I can be a contented person. And Paul's showing us that it doesn't matter what our circumstance is. See, sometimes I think that we we think we can only learn contentment when we don't have a lot or things are going really poorly. And Paul's just going to shut the door on that bad theology and say, it doesn't matter which place you land. It doesn't matter if you live your whole life really not needing much from a worldly perspective. Discontentment will creep in your soul as fast as the brother or sister who is living on hardly anything. The issue is not having more or changing your circumstance. The issue is knowing and immersing yourself and walking in who you are in the person and work of Jesus. And, and all of a sudden there's even, even ground. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter the, the, the place you find yourself in your life. And so let me ask you a question. What is the thing, because we're all asking it, if I could only have what? Man, then my whole life would be better. I'd be content, right? What is it for you? What's your functional savior? You might not think it is or realize it is or your functional God. I mean, what are you worshiping outside of Christ? See, Martin Luther used to say, right, the first commandment, you should have no other gods before me. If you break that one, everything else falls apart. And that's what we're doing every time we find greater contentment in something outside of him. So when you say, man, I just wish my job would change, then I'd be content. You're worshiping your God. It's your functional Savior. You're committing idolatry in your heart. That's why you're coveting. That's why you're lusting. That's why your heart is unsettled because it's not driving towards the one who's all things, who's always steadfast, always secure, who meets the requirement for that. So, so what is it for you that, man, if my marriage was just better, then, then, then I'd be at peace. Or if I just had like 10,000, there's always a number, right, for your bank account. Like if I just had like $10,005, right, and if that was in there, then, then every problem would just disappear. And we're just foolish people. Look, I'm with you in this. I'm not speaking outside of this. I'm talking as a, a fellow sojourner. I'm talking about someone who's in the fight with you going, oh, gosh, God, my heart just longs for all these other gods and saviors and point me back to you. You ransomed me. You bought me. I'm the richest person in the universe because I have all that 
is Christ, which is all things, which is planets, which is the kingdom, which is... That's where Paul's trying to get us. He's he's taking all the, the heady stuff we've learned and going, is he really a surpassing worth? Because you're not content. And if there's not contentment, it's, it's always because the place you're landing is not Jesus. Always. Let me just answer the question for you, okay? Whatever that thing is that you are, if I could only change this or only fix this, then I'd be okay. Listen, if the answer to that is not the person and work of the risen Christ, the God-man who bore your sin, who absorbed the wrath of God, who paid the debt you could not owe, that you could not do enough, you could not work enough, the righteousness that was demanded by him, he had to present for you in the spotless, blameless work of his son. If your heart is not driving there, then you are going to be so discontent forever. Okay, so if you leave, you're thinking, okay, hold on, I'm going to practice insanity, which is I'm going to try the same thing that doesn't work, thinking it might work, okay? You go out these doors, and you still go to that thing, or pray for that thing, or just want that thing outside of Jesus, you'll continue to be frustrated, and you'll grow in greed, and you'll grow in discontentment, and sin will blossom in your home, and everything else will follow, right? So what is that thing for you that God wants to kill by the work of his son? He wants you to hold out that idol and smash it. If I just had a different boss. If my kids just weren't so crazy. Right? I don't know what it is, right? And he, he's driving our hearts. That's why he says he's learned the secret. I love that, right? It's like, ooh, what is it? You know? Oh, it's Jesus. Okay. You know, so, so it's, he just says, I've learned the secret. I've learned how to be content. I've learned to know where to drive my heart when I'm sitting chained to a prison guard in Caesar's household with hardly any food, when I've been shipwrecked, when I've been beaten. I've also learned contentment when I've been in Lydia's home and I've eaten the best meals in the world and she's had a beautiful home and I don't have any cares of the world. I've learned regardless how to be a contented person. I've learned what it means to say that Christ is all things, that Christ strengthens me. That he supplies all my needs according to his glorious riches. Now, why does this press on us more than ever? (laughs) Guys, we live in a day that no other time in the history of mankind there is more to be had, more to do, more to be entertained by. Right? I mean, so it's just all over the place. I I mean, contentment's so foreign. I mean, think about what your parents used to do when they were kids and what we do now when we're kids and just technology, right? I mean, you press a button and stuff blows up. I mean, it's just insane. I mean, before, you had to wait, you know? So it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy, just technology, how it has made us just discontent. It's just added to the idolatry, added fuel to the fire that's already in our hearts. And this is so hard because culturally, we find ourselves in a time where everything else in the world is saying, quicker, better, faster, And that's the remedy for you being and having a discontented heart, right? If you're discontent, just get a faster modem, right? I mean, if you're discontent, just get a faster delivery boy. I mean, it's it's like everything, right? So this is pressing because there are more things to see, places to go, things to buy. We live in, and, and the bulk of us are either bored out of our minds or endlessly frustrated. And we just keep chasing what doesn't work. So we fill our houses with stuff and gadgets and toys, not Christ. We use everything else as an escape to suppress the sin. I'm not being a good husband. I don't want to think about it. That adds discontentment to my heart. So instead of pressing into Christ and seeing him as the perfect husband and and following that lead and leading my home like that, I'm just going to go sit and be lazy and be more discontent watching TV and movies and It's just a cycle that just continues until the risen Christ, the power of his resurrection, rips you out of that and says, look at me. Get your eyes off of you. Look at me. See me. See what I've done for you. Right? I mean, mean, the bulk of our sin is because we're staring at us. 
Right? So he's going, hey, lift your eyes off of yourself and look at me. Look at what I've done. I mean, look at who you're found in. Look at who owns you. Look at who bought you. And that, that's where he just keeps driving our hearts. See, this entire letter, I love it, is just revealing that the secret of contentment is, is, is it's not just the secret to contentment, it's all things is Christ, okay? That's really what he's doing. He's not just saying that Jesus is only the source to a discontented heart. He's saying Jesus is the, the resolution to everything. And here he's just giving a solution of the fruit that blossoms. So, so Paul's going to roll into one of the primary ways the Philippians demonstrate their contentment and maturity in Christ. So the question is, what happens when you're content, when you have joy, when Christ is the goal of your heart? You're a generous man. Now why? I think very simply, culturally and practically, probably two of the biggest items are sex and money. So Paul's going, this is a way that you have displayed that you have contentment, is you are generous. And it is destroying the idolatry of money. And this church just began to give. They were generous. Look at what he says in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, I love this. So Epaphroditus brings a gift to Paul. This is 10 years later, and he's recalling 10 years prior when he first came and planted the church. And he's going, okay, remember when I first came to Macedonia, to Greece? And remember when I planted this church? Remember how generous you were? Remember when I first preached the gospel? And then remember when I left and I went to Thessalonica and I went to Berea? Do you remember you guys were the only ones who gave? Like you guys were the only ones who gave gifts? And, 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 and then when he went to Athens and Corinth, you see the same thing. And here's the thing. Just in case you think they were like a really wealthy church and that's why they gave a lot, it's actually the opposite. If you look in 2 Corinthians verse 8, he actually says, I don't want to charge the Corinthians for the gospel. So the Macedonian churches, including Philippi, gave out of their poverty. He actually, it's actually almost like robbery for Paul. <laughs> this is, <laughs> these people are so pierced by the gospel. They're so content in Christ. They go, man, have my money. It's yours anyways. I already have the one who owns it all. Right? I mean, you see how this just naturally changes? This is, this is amazing. And, and I love that Paul's just showing, man, this, this is just get, bringing me joy. And don't miss the point, though, Paul wants to make. He goes, I appreciate you're giving me all this stuff. I mean, that's cool and all, but truth is, I don't really need it. I have Christ. And to be honest, you want to know why I'm rejoicing so much? Is what it's doing to you. He goes, man, I'm not, I'm not seeking the gift itself. I'm seeking the fruit that advances to your credit. So he goes, man, I'm not after just material blessing. I'm after the spiritual blessing that's happening in your heart. That as you give your money, you're declaring money's not my God, which is a mega God in almost any culture, any time, any place. So as I do that, Christ is filling that space as I give over my money to God and it is act of smashing that idol and worshiping Jesus instead. He goes, that gives me joy. It gives me joy the ways that Christ is growing in you as a result of your faith in him. And one of the primary ways I'm seeing it just land on your soul in a tangible, active way is through the ways that you're generous. That's why Paul's fired up. That's why Paul is so excited. He goes, man, I'm so thankful that, and this all goes back to Philippians 2, right? That, that you see being humble, looking to the interests of others, is more Christ-exalting than you looking out for yourself, than you hoarding, like culture says, hoard, 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 save, save, save. God says, give, 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 and I'll keep supplying, right? I, I, I love just the, the, the paradox here. I love that he is looking, going, man, you guys really get that your citizenship is in heaven. Like, you really get that the house you're in is one day gonna be burned up. 
Like you guys are actually getting intellectual ideas and you're walking in active ways where Christ is bearing his weight on your soul and it's affecting decisions, it's affecting your life. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're learning this. In the second way, they're immersing themselves in it. And Christ is actually becoming all things to them. They're demonstrating Jesus' worth by their generosity. They're demonstrating that Christ is supreme by being generous and by giving. And I love that Paul is more excited, like a good pastor, about what it's doing in their soul. He goes, I know God's going to provide the needs for the church. But I'm after that in your heart, not because we need a bigger bank account, but because of what it's doing in you. Profound stuff. And this is, is this not what Paul has been praying for this church in chapter 3? That you would know that Christ is surpassing in his worth. I count everything. Job, money, vocation, popularity, fame, comfortable life. I, can, I count all that loss compared to having him. He, this church is understanding it. Right? I mean, they're getting caught up in it. And it's affecting their life. So I want to chat just for a minute about money. Because the text is chatting about money. Now listen, just before you get all, you know, oh, we must be in a deficit, we need tons of money, we're fine, okay? We, we're not in need. I mean, we're always in need, but just so don't, elder check. That, that, was, that was not, okay. So you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's like that, okay, I want to make sure I say this right. Like, Keep giving, keep being generous. Okay, God has been profoundly good to us at this church by your generosity, by the generosity of lots of people who are in D.C. and we have people in Singapore. I told you when God started this church, people just were generous towards the work. So God has been faithful. So please don't hear what I'm about to lay before you as this some sort of plea or crucifixion on the cross going, hey, we need a lot of money. Okay, so we're not in need in that way. I'm simply sharing this because the text is directing us there. Okay? I've never even talked about money. Okay? So we're only going to talk about it when the text talks about it. Okay? So, so the text is talking about it, so let's just let it press us just for a second. Okay? Because this is such an idol in our culture, Bergen County particularly, right? So let's, let's not try to sweep this one under the rug. Because I feel this. So, so, so first, if, if you're just visiting, okay? This, ain't, this is just like a commercial break for you. You're going to love this, right? You just get to kind of watch. Okay? If you're not a Christian, this is a commercial break, okay? You, you need Jesus, okay? Don't, don't worry about churches wants me to give, give, give. You know, that's not what it's about, okay? So, but if you consider this your church home, if you're, if you're pursuing membership here, okay, th- this is where the ears perk up, okay? This is where, where Paul's going to press on us as family together, okay? There are fewer things in your life that will display where your heart is and where your God is than how you spend your money. Just plain and simple. Like, I'm not going to say primary thing, but I want to be right near there. The way that you, what you give to and how you steward it, which is a discipleship issue, which is a worship issue. This isn't, didn't someone get, like, get left off on the side? Like Jesus saves you, do everything else, but money is not really an issue. It's, a, it's an act of worship. Like it is, it is connected to your view of God, his provision, his love, his kindness. What you love, what you want, what you worship. This bears weight on the human heart no matter if you're in plenty or in hardly anything at all. This presses regardless. The issue is not how much. The issue is worship. The issue is are you giving at all? And if you are, there's some things rolled into that. And I love this because You can see a quick theology just in these five verses of giving. Verse 10, it's from your heart and as God gives you opportunity. Every time this church had opportunity, they gave generously. 
So when God lays before an opportunity, do you give generously? Verse 14, we give to those who serve God. And it says consistently, it says you did it again and again. There's consistency in our generosity. Verse 18, it should be generous. Not out of pity. Not a few cents, right? It should be generous. And don't miss the most important one. It was a, an offering of fragrant sacrifice. Them giving generously, just demonstrating their love for Jesus Christ above money was so sweet-smelling to God. He loved it. It was an act of worship. I mean, this was such a a beautiful thing for God to witness and, and God to see. And so, understand, the issue is about your heart, okay? Jesus talks predominantly than any other subject about money in the New Testament outside of the kingdom of God. And the reason he does this is not because he needs your money, okay? Like God's not there going, hey, I need you to get a little bit more. I'm dying out of resources. My, my glorious riches are decreasing. That's not happening, okay? I promise you. He wants your heart, okay? He says in Matthew 6, hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Okay, so where your heart goes. So if it's lust, sex, all of that, right, that's where, you're, that's where you're worshiping. If your love is money, right, that's where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. That's where you're going to love. That's where you're going to. It's just going to be easy to see. And so God is after your heart. He's not after your money. He doesn't need it. We've learned that. Romans 11. I mean, you can't repay him with anything. Right? Psalm 50. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He can dispose of any of them anytime he wants. Right? So he's not up there going, hey, I, I need. No, no. He's after you having more of himself. And so when we give, we say, we're declaring visibly, this is not my God. I'm not worshiping this. And Christ fills that space beautifully. Now, let me just say something in, in, in regards to this. Let me, just, let me just press for a second, if, in case I haven't already, okay? Just press a little bit deeper. I've heard, not said here, but I've heard this, this, this weird idea, right, where we say, for example, I'm not gonna worship, I'm not gonna sing, because I don't like the way the worship leader leads. I don't like the way they move their hands. Okay, hold on. So you're not going to worship God because of what someone else is doing. Okay, what are you responsible for? Worship, right? Okay, in the same way, haven't heard it here, heard it other places, so I'm not calling anyone out, okay? I've heard, well, I'm not going to give because I want them to be giving more to this thing. Right, or I want this missionary to be funded. I want, right? Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> What's your responsibility? To give, to worship, right? Listen, it's the elder's responsibility, the steward, and God's going after us for that, and God's going after you for giving. Like, that's where the responsibility is. Like, like you're not responsible for stewarding all the funds. We are, right? Which is, by the way, please take that part. Like, that, that's not like, you know, overly exciting, right? There, there's, there's weight to that, right? So, so we're called to, to steward, to pray, to seek God's face. Man, how do we want to spend these things? Where do you want it to go? How do you want it to look? And then, then you're just called to give. Like, you're, you're called to worship. That's all God has asked you of you, right? As a good, healthy church member, I give as an act of worship. So, so look, look, I don't know your histories. I don't know your amounts. I don't know what all that looks like for you. And God, I, I know that this church is generous, so I'm not, I'm not trying to come across as beating over the head or saying, hey, you should pick it up. Or I, I just want to lay this always before us. Why? Because I know for me, this is constantly a battle, right? I remember when Kristen and I moved from Northern Virginia to here, one of my biggest fears was, okay, wait a second. This is a totally different way of living. I mean, I was like, in the mega church, super cared for, had my job set out for 15 years, had a nice townhouse, taxes were like 2000 a year. I know, hate me, right? I know, thinking about moving back, just kidding. Not really, but you know, it comes up, but we're not, don't worry. So, so here, no, so not, we're not. So you know what I mean? But, but here, here's the thing, right? I mean, immediately I'm thinking, man, are you going to provide for me? Right? I mean, is Christ all things for Mike Reed in New Jersey? 
as he is in Virginia. Yes. Right? I mean, we're wrestling because we're even looking for a home. I mean, how do we steward our money well? How do we keep giving faithfully? I remember when I went through the church planting network assessment that took nine months. It was grueling. It was intense. It was deep. I remember they actually go out and they look at all your financials, how you spend all your money, how much you give. I mean, it's just like everything is for everyone to see because they want to make sure you're super healthy in all these different regards. And I remember them saying, okay, this is one thing we like is when you go to plant your church, you give more. I'm going, hold on a second. That, that doesn't cross, right? I should be giving less because I'm the poor church planner, right, who's trying to raise support. They go, no, no, no. That's a great way to demonstrate your active trust in Jesus Christ. And so we, we know that's going to be a luring in your heart to want to give less because you think you're now excused because you're now some on this higher pedestal that you're now doing some sacrificial work. And no, how about you give a little bit more and trust him? And so we did. And I mean every month he is faithful. He's faithful. And what it does in your heart just frees you from the love of money, frees you from that idol. And as you do that, Christ invades that space. That's the whole point. And all of a sudden, contentment begins to fall in a place that's not on how much you save or spend, but in who you already are in the person and work of Jesus. Now, that's enough. We'll, we'll move on now. So that was it. Here's what's amazing. When we give, you're going to see it doesn't deplete any of your resources. Like, you don't get any poorer if you're in Christ. The content person in Christ is generous man, generous woman. Look at this key phrase, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this. Paul gets us back to the source of all things, okay? What's really going to be our contentment. So as we're looking at this, this is so great. He says, God will supply all your needs. Now, don't misread it. According to what? Right. According to his riches in who? Christ. Okay, just, just stare at that. Okay, that's where your riches are. That's where you're found. That's who you're bought by. That's what you're adopted into. I mean, your identity is Jesus. Holy, spotless, blameless, glorious riches. So, so, so here's what he, and, and this is what's so amazing too. He says, not out of his riches, according to his riches. Okay, this is so insane. Okay, look, look, look. Out of his riches would mean this. You go to someone who's super wealthy. You're like, hey, could you give me out of your riches? And this guy might give you a couple bucks. That's out of his riches. According to his riches, he'd give you the full million, right? Or however much he was worth, okay? So, track with me here. When God gives to us in Christ, okay, when you receive him, when you get him, he's not giving out of his riches. He's not giving in pity, He's giving according to. Okay, hold on a second. Do some Bible study, and you'll see some profound things. He's giving you his kingdom. He is giving you the source of existence. Like, like the one who actually speaks DNA strands. And light and planets and molecules and, okay, okay, that entity, that person is yours. And you're, you're found in him. So he gives according to his riches. Okay, so, so if you are in Christ, I mean, try, it's, it's impossible to get your mind maybe even around like five yards of that sphere, okay? You, you, you are given all that is wealth. Like, Money is paper. You're giving the one who made paper. Okay? So he goes beyond material paper wealth. You're getting the one who makes wealth. What? Right? I mean, I mean this is... He, the riches and glory that belong to Christ are yours. I don't know how else to simply say it. The riches that are in Christ are yours. If you're in him. That's your state. That's who you are. So as we give, I mean, this affects all those things. We're not depleted at all. 
because Christ fills those things. Now, what a statement, and this is what's amazing. He goes a step further and says, according to his riches in what? In glory. Or you could read his glorious riches. You know what that means? He's using a word that shows he can't describe how wealthy you are if you're in Christ. So you'll never hit bottom, you'll never hit a ceiling, you'll never run dry. His riches are endless, and they are pouring themselves out on you every single day if you're in him. So it's according to the glorious riches. So I can't put price tag on it. I can't put a, a, a decimal meter. I can't do anything that would help you understand how big, how high, how wide. All I'm saying is they're glorious. And one day when you reach glorification and you're one with him and you're walking with him, you will actually receive, according to Ephesians 1 and lots of other texts, your full inheritance. And this inheritance is not some stock market. Right? Like this inheritance is eternal wealth with the God of the universe. You're found in him. You're loved by him. And listen, you're not going to be checking your bank account. Right? You're not going to be going, man, I just, I don't know if today Pluto is going to stay there. Right? I don't know if I still own the galaxy. Yes, you do. They're still there. Listen, I, I know this, this can get so ethereal but it needs to land and we need to be immersed in it. And we need to, we need to think. Remember we talked last week? You got, you got to think right two weeks ago. The mind matters. This, you need to actively remember this when you're in a moment of, man, my savings is going away, right? Or man, I don't have a job. I'm looking for a job. I, tr- I trust him. I'm content because he'll supply all my needs according to his glorious riches. Or if God gives you much, you give more. Because it's opportunity, because God's entrusted you with that, right? I mean, just mind-blowing realities that Paul is laying before this church. This is the whole point of his letter, right? To live as what? Christ. To live as him. To die as gain. Why? Why? Because if you're in Christ, the glorious riches that are in Christ are yours, you're the richest man or woman on the planet. And they never run dry. They never run out. And this is so important because all of culture will say what? Worth is in work, sex, money, fame, prestige, right? That's the true sense of worth. Not according to the all-knowing, all-making, all-sovereign one. He says it's in him, in his son, who hung on the cross for evil, wicked people who mocked him, and as they mocked him, he prayed for them. And he displayed humility, Philippians 2, so that we might be ransomed to him, and not just ransomed to him, but ransomed to him to know, Ephesians, to, to know what are the glorious riches for those who are in Christ? Do you, do you know that? Did you know that? And when we live our lives, it's easy to see whether we believe that. Mostly based upon what we do with our riches. And so Paul is taking this whole thing full circle we can sum it up in the last 11 weeks, he would say rejoice, 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 rejoice. Why? Because he's big enough, sovereign enough, all-knowing enough, loving enough, rich enough. All things to him, by him, for him, in him, through him. Right? That, that, that's it. So let's just, let's sum up Philippians chapter 1. If, if we were to summarize this letter, this is what Paul says. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm going to press into the one, set my affection, affection, set my gaze on the one, right, who, verse 6, is the author, sustainer of my faith, right, he saved me, he sustains me, he justifies me, he glorifies me, I'm going to set my eyes there, okay, as I do that, you go down to verses 10 and 11, I want to be filled with more of the knowledge of him, I realize I don't want to try other things, other cute things, it's just fixing and pressing into him. Getting to verse 12, this is all going to advance the gospel. People are going to see you making much of Jesus in your life, and they're going to want him. 
They're going to see his glory displayed through you making much of him and enjoying him. The gospel is being advanced, verse 12. You go down, and then that gets into, I'm going to keep rejoicing this. Why? Verse 21, because to live is Christ, to die is gain. I keep saying it. And he goes, hey, as we live to Christ, as to die is gain for us, knowing who we are in him, as we're pressing into him, he goes, hey, as we get down, hey, let's do this together. It's a community project. Let's strive together. Let's remind one another, okay, that he is the goal, that not just morality, not just killing more sin, not just looking better in the Christian community. The goal is Jesus. So let's keep pressing into that. And then he goes into, hey, as we do that, let's be humble. Man, let's not be prideful in that. Let's not be conceited. Let's, let's look to the interests of others as we what? Hey, get your eyes back on Jesus, right? Verses 5 to 11, hey, keep looking at him. He's the one who cultivates this humility in you. He's the one who gave you the humility to look to the interests of others. This is what's growing joy in you. This is what's growing love in you. And then he keeps going and says, as we do this, what? We will shine like stars. I mean, God will see his church. The world will see his church. They will see a people walking and making much of Jesus, holding fast to the word of life. And hey, as you're doing that, verse 19 and on, hey, find godly men, godly women who are pressing into Jesus, looking at Jesus, and get under him. Okay, so keep learning. Don't be satisfied in what you're doing and all that you know about him. Get around other people and keep doing this thing. And then he goes, in chapter 3, okay, hold on. By the way, there are other people that are going to come in and say, hey, Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't sufficient. You need more than Jesus for salvation. You need more than Jesus for contentment. You need more than Jesus for joy. You need more. Okay, so watch out for them, right? They're looking at another system, another way of living. And then he goes in and goes, hey, remember, his worth is surpassing. That's why I'm reminding you of this. That's why he's the goal. There is no other worth that compares to Jesus. And then he, then he gets to the bottom and says, hey, remember, we got to keep pressing and straining and striving, okay? we got to keep doing this, actively setting our sights on him, getting people to remind us, hey, the goal is him. Look at him. See him. Enjoy him. See his person and work. See his you know, payment for you on the cross. See the righteousness that he gave you. Keep looking at that and forget the guilt and condemnation of your past that's going to hinder you running forward. Keep after that by looking to him. And then he rolls into this amazing reminder of why your citizenship in here. Your citizenship was founded in the one who bought you, the one who I've been telling you to look at and see and gaze at and savor and enjoy and see the beauty of. So remember in all of this that that reminds you that this isn't your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. And those other people who are wandering after vain idols, remember their gods, their belly. And that, remember that ends destruction. Remember that doesn't lead to greater life or deeper joy. It leads to shame and destruction and death. And remember that God is someone who doesn't just want to take from you every command he gives us to give generously to you. And then he tells two women who are fighting, which never happens. Hey, by the way, hey, cut that out. Right? That's weird. Right? Remember? Hey, the gospel's still right here. Work it out. Fix it. Names are in the book of life. And then he gets back to, hey, and keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing. Why keep rejoicing? Because, man, that Christ who you're fixing your eyes on, he's at hand. He's returning. He's going to gather you. He's going to ransom you fully in its fullness and take you home to that place where the glorious riches are fully seen, fully experienced. Hey, and as you bubble up with fear and, and anxiety, man, put those things to death by continuing to press into the one who sovereignly reigns and rules over it all. And, hey, keep dwelling on it, verses 8 and 9, chapter 4. Keep thinking about it. Don't stop meditating on that. And then he rolls into this section of, hey, remember, you can be content because of all that I've said. Christ is all things. He's before all things and all things through all things. It doesn't matter if you are in great need or in no apparent need. You have Christ. And by the way, you should just be a generous person because you are the riches that are in Christ. You have it all. And I love how he ends after saying God is supplying all your needs. He goes, oh, and by the way, hey, Caesar's household is seeing all this. And they're all getting saved. It's pretty cool. Verse 21. They're learning this now too. They're learning how to strive, strain, pursue, press. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Remember, there are Roman prison guards that change every four hours. And as they're seeing the contentment in Paul, regardless of his circumstance, as they're seeing him consider Christ as a surpassing worth, as he's making much of Jesus, God's converting other souls. And now Caesar's household is making much of Jesus, and he's probably reminding them. He probably, I don't know, maybe had them read part of this, or at least instructed them on this. Strive, press, pursue Look at him. Enjoy him. Remember the riches that are in Christ. Yeah, you're a Roman prison guard. Pretty cool. Not compared to being someone who's in Christ. And I love that he rolls it all up in saying, may the grace of who be in your spirit? Jesus Christ. May his grace, may you be marked by his grace. May that constantly be in your spirit. You see, see how Paul just, he's just full circle. It's just circular over and over. We've said that, right, in his writings. Now, just to end, I'm positive there are many in this room, Christians, who are saying, what if I don't feel this? I mean, what if he's really not all things to me? Right? I mean, I know, I know intellectually what you're saying. I even know the Bible pretty well, Mike. Like, I know all the verses. I grew up in Awana or whatever the things are, and I, have, I had every sticky, I had every, you know, different type of, yeah, what, like swords and whatever. What if I haven't learned the secret, Mike? What do I do? What if Christ isn't the source of my joy and happiness? I mean, what, what if he isn't my, okay, Pray. Pray all night if you have to. Because Ephesians 3 says this. Paul says this. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3, This reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according, same language, listen for it, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'd be grounded and rooted in love. Now watch. Now this is all a prayer. And have strength to what? To comprehend. With all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul is saying the only way that you can get this, I mean the only way you can really be rooted and grounded in all that is the riches of Christ is that you beg God to reveal it to you. Like, you can't just read your Bible and go, osmosis, and it's just going to happen. Like, it's prayer and word, right, mixed together, the Spirit working. You have to, I'm telling you, if it means every night for, for weeks, for, I don't care how long, it's worth it. Like, I don't care how long, just get on your knees and beg him and say, God, I, I don't see you as, as, I don't see myself as the riches of Christ. I don't really understand your worth. I don't really see the, the damnation that was due me. I don't really see you taking the wrath of God and paying for my sin in the way that, that I should. I don't, so, so ask him. So God, show me the depth and the height and the breadth and the width and the length of this love that, that surpasses my knowledge, my puny brain. Be humble. Be Philippians 2. I mean, I can't get it. It's too big for me. Would you, would you feel me? The fullness of the Spirit. Would you, would you do that to me? Let's ask him to do that. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for the text that has led us. And my hope is that we would know you more fully. And to that end, we would pray and make war. God, I pray that we would be a, a faith family. That we would be a people. I would seek you. Press into you. Run to you. That Jesus Christ would be the end all for everything. 
That God, you protect our hearts from wanting to find cute little advertisements or other things to worship or run to as functional saviors and gods. That we would see you as supreme and worthy and of value. That God, it would, be, it would mark the way we, we spend our time and our talents and our treasure. That God, we'd be humble people. That we'd be generous people. We'd be unifying people. God, help us. God, I know, I, I, I know there's nothing I can do to even make my own heart flourish with longing for you. You have to do that. And God, I know that you want to. I know that's your desire. I know that you say those that seek you will find you. I know that there's promise for those who go before you in humility and say, I'm at your disposal for all things. God, would you do that in us? Would you be kind to us in that way? God, would we be contented people? Would we be people who just live a life of contentment? God, I pray that as we do that, as we make much of you, as we press into you and see you, that, that God, Bergen County would change, that the New York City area would change, that as your church does that, God, we're just a a small part, puny part of what you're doing. But God, even that small slice, might it shine brightly for you? Might it make much of you? And as we observe the Lord's Supper and remember that you're all things, that it was your body broken, your blood shed that does anything for us at all, that gives us any riches in Christ, that absorbs any wrath, that forgives any sin, that obtains righteousness at all, It's, it's you. And may we celebrate that as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.